Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins and welcome to Life, Death and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium and here we explore life, death, consciousness and what it all means. Today I have Kirsten Parsons Hathcock on the show, mouthful. Kirsten is an award-winning self-taught carpenter, furniture designer, and founder of Mom Mod Furniture, a kids' furniture company featured on ABC's Shark Tank. She's also a TEDx speaker and an intuitive medium who works for the National Institute for Law and Justice, helping detectives and families uncover truth in missing, missing persons and homicide cases. In her previous work, Kirsten was the staff writer for Northern Arizona University and a TV marketing executive for A&E TV Network and the History Channel. An Ohio native, she now resides in Phoenix, Arizona with her husband, Scott, daughters, Natalie and Grace, and pup, Scout. Her new book, Little Voices, is coming out in September. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited. We've been, we talked a while ago and um, you sent over the man, what is this considered? A manuscript? Manuscript. Yeah. Of the book. So it is not even out yet. And I got a sneak peek. I told Kirsten before, in all honestness, I did not finish this one, but not because it wasn't good because I started it too late. So I started it last night, and just to give you a sense of how good it was, I read almost half of it. So um, it was really, really well written and really a fascinating story that kept me intrigued to the point where I couldn't put it down despite how tired I was from being up quite late the night before. Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word about the podcast. So share the podcast with someone you know, repost my anything on social media. If you are a therapist listening to the podcast and you have a client who you think would benefit, share it with them. This podcast has grown completely organically. I've never done advertising. I've never done anything to boost the podcast. It is all because of you all sharing the podcast. And we are coming up on a million downloads, which is amazing. Other ways that you can support the podcast is through Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron, you can go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the $5, 10 or $20 level or any other denomination. And my $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. For a while, I was doing them for all the supporters, but now I am closing that down to just the $20 a month supporters. I really want to honor those who are really committed to supporting the podcast. So thank you so much. And I just want to point out what a difference this makes for me. The podcast is just supported by me. Uh, I don't have advertisers yet, although I would love some. I don't have sponsors, although that would be great. So right now the, the podcast is supported by you all. And I'm so grateful if you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners, trying to do my best to be quick to respond. And lastly, rate, review, and subscribe. That is super important. Um, Podcasts show up in people's algorithms is by other people 
subscribing and rating and reviews being higher. I also love reading the reviews so you can rate the podcast, but you can also review the podcast. Thank you all for all of your support, for all of your love, for all of your helping to collectively raise the consciousness of this planet. I am so incredibly grateful. Tell us, tell us your story because, okay. you know, I start your bio by mm-hmm. saying you're a carpenter and furniture designer. And I know. Incredible <laughs> furniture company. And yet you're also an intuitive. So how right. did you notice these gifts, um, particularly because it's mostly children? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that I get a lot. And, you know, as you were reading the bio, I was laughing because I thought, wow, I I do wear a lot of hats nowadays. I never, ever would have imagined that this was where I would go, you know, in my life. But when I was 36 years old, um, let me back up. I'm very scientific. I'm very, I'm from Ohio originally. Uh, My parents are teachers. I didn't grow up wondering about spirituality. I didn't grow up wanting to be a medium. I, none of that was in, in my view at all. So I grew up, um, I I had a wonderful childhood. My parents are amazing. I, you know, got to the age of 36. I was married with two kids and I suddenly started seeing things and hearing things. And, you know, I'm in the garage working on furniture and nails are moving across the workbench. So it literally kind of hit me over the head to the point where I thought I have really been breathing too much polyurethane. Like there's no other way around it. This is, I, this is psychosis. This is something with, you know, these chemicals and uh, lo and behold, it was not. Yes. So I really just thought I was going crazy. Um, and, you know, and, and like I said, none of this was in my worldview. It wasn't it wasn't like I had a bunch of psychic medium friends. You know, it wasn't anything that I thought would come into my life. But, you know, it did. And I'm really grateful for it. Uh, I ended up, you know, sensing all of this stuff happening around me and again, questioning if I was crazy, but ultimately it led to me reaching out to law enforcement because most of who was coming to me were children who had been murdered. And uh, most of them had experienced some level of sexual abuse in their lifetime. Um, So naturally, you know, I I have two years of channeling all of that and creating partnerships with cops around the country. And then I'm constantly wondering, well, why me? 36, I'm a mom. Okay, I get that. But why me? Like, I'm happy to do it. Why me? So there was no um, precipitant to this. There was no... You had a near-death experience. You had anything. You didn't even experience a death. It was just... Suddenly you noticed that these little voices yeah. were coming to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was it. And that's why, you know, I, I think it's an unusual story and it's one that I wanted to tell for multiple reasons. But that is one of the reasons that I wanted to share this because, you know, I, I didn't have a near-death experience. I didn't have anything traumatic happen that I knew of, you know, when, when this stuff started happening. And it's been 12 years now. I'm 48. I'll be 49 in September, um, around the time my book comes out, which is pretty cool. And I, you know, I've definitely gotten used to it. I've, you know, figured out how to set boundaries. I figured out how to work with spirit better. Um, and, and that aspect has been a gift 
because it's translated into so many aspects of my life, my business life, you know, my family life, um, just being able to even talk about trusting your own intuition as a roadmap for life has been an amazing thing. And, I, and I've seen, I've seen friends and family benefit from that too. So talk to me a little bit, because the way you start the book is you're literally digging with a shovel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, tell me what, what it's like to hear from these young children okay. who have been murdered in, and this is not going to be graphic or. Yeah, I promise. This, yeah. No this, graphic detail. Um, episode. So no need to turn it off, but, but what, what has that been like and what do you find out and how do you get it confirmed and all of those pieces to know that, that the information you're getting is legitimate because it's one thing to get to be a medium and to have someone come to you and experience um, sharing your gifts and what you hear and see with them. But there were times where you actually sought out parents Mm -hmm. who had lost their children. Yeah. And That had to be a pretty nerve wracking. It was terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was cause more harm. You know, I'm a parent myself. I put myself in that position. How would I feel if someone came to me? But overwhelmingly, as I started to continue to get validation and continue to trust, I knew I had to. There was really no, there was no way I couldn't. Um, and you know, mainly what, what has happened, um, I've, I've been able to get used to it to some degree, which sounds horrible, but it probably is similar to being a homicide detective. Um, there is a numbness, uh, that has to sort of take over Mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the first four or five cases I worked on, I was sobbing constantly. Um, I couldn't pull myself together. I thought, why I am not going to do this. You know, there were many times I thought I can't do this, but, you know, I, I honestly didn't understand that they were coming to help me as much as I was helping them. And I didn't understand that I was in their club. I just hadn't been murdered. So, you know, that, that, that was a gift in that, you know, yes, they came to me and they trust me with passing information um, to law enforcement, which also was terrifying. Can you imagine reaching out? (laughs) Uh, yeah. Like, what did you do? Call the police Mm -hmm. department and say, Hey, I've got like a, someone's murdered child talking to me, but they're not here. I mean, how do you even make that call? I didn't, I didn't do that. I knew enough to not do that. It was interesting because you know, the universe presents things, right. As you know, being a medium and, and intuitive. And so they also present people to you. And so there would always be a connection somehow. Mm. And one of the main connections I have uh, with the National Institute for Law and Justice, uh, his name is Mark Pucci. He is a retired NYPD homicide detective. He is um, he's now the founder of this organization. I'm a co-chair. We've been working together on cases for about 10 years now. And I worked, I was put together with him because I volunteered to work on a missing persons case in New York City because someone knew that person that was in my world. And then he volunteered his time to work on that. So that's how we got connected. So there, it wasn't as if um, I was running around sending faxes or calling up, <laughs> just calling up police departments. Um, I knew enough not to do that. So, so can you just take us through your process mm-hmm. of how yeah. this works? I mean, do you 
do does law enforcement seek you out or do you seek out law enforcement based on the children that have come to you both what does it look like it is it is mostly me in the beginning especially reaching out to them but i have my core people now um, and especially through this new nonprofit that we just started we have networks of detectives all over the world. So at this point, I'm really lucky because when kids do come in and they have messages to share, I can say, Mark, who trusts me and believes in me, this is what I'm picking up. And then we can go from there. But for the most part, you know, some of the kids will come in and they'll say, um, please just write this down and keep it. And my parents will be coming to you, which never made any sense to me, of course, in the be beginning, because I was on Shark Tank, yeah, but I, it was for my furniture company. So it wasn't like I thought, how are they gonna find me? You know, this isn't something I'm gonna be public about until I felt guided to write the book. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a bigger picture here that has comforted me a bit uh, because a lot of what I've written about in Little Voices um, is it's tough to it's tough you know from the standpoint of i'm putting a lot out there personally mm -hmm. about my life um and you know that and ultimately the children came in basically saying to me kirsten you were one of us you just don't remember it mm -hmm. so once i gained enough confidence in my visions i was able to then see me as a small child and my uncle abusing me and my uncle raping me when I was five. So, you know, that it, it was instrumental because I mean, if I started seeing that kind of, kind of information prior <laughs> to channeling other children and getting validation from cops, I wouldn't have believed it at all. I would have no idea that I was that person. For some of these missing persons reports that are really prominent, like let's take mm -hmm. Madeline McCann, right? right. These okay. names that people know or the Natalie mm -hmm. Holloway's of the world mm -hmm. right right um and they that those parents would come to you mm -hmm. have you ever not been able not been accurate or it oh or i'm they sure haven't come through or like how would that work yes um you know especially in the beginning when i was first trying to decipher what all this was because i hear i see i'll get visions of you know what's happening but if i try to i've learned along the way if i try to you know deduce what this actually is sometimes i'm not right about that mm -hmm. you know i it's like putting a puzzle together right like you're trying to figure out okay well this is a clue and this is a clue um i've been lucky in that the cases that i have worked on i have been able to point uh, folks and detectives to you know sites where remains are and things like that um that's not something that you know I, i'm super proud of i don't want to be able to do that but i also know that it's something that i need to do in this lifetime mm -hmm. and it must bring such like closure to parents who don't absolutely i mean you're a mom i'm a mom right like, right yeah and not have knowledge of what happened to your child has got to be the worst thing in the world absolutely yeah and i think about that every single time you know that i do talk to a parent or i'm working on a case uh it's 
you know, it's a blessing and a curse. And I do not know everything by any means. You know, I, I love listening to your podcast. I was just in the middle of listening to your last one and I, it right before we got on and I thought I have to keep going as soon as we get off, I'm going to, you know, finish this one. I'm learning along the way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the biggest lesson I've learned is I have to trust that quiet sort of inner knowing, you know, uh, there were times when I was scared to death to reach out. And so I would put, put the notes away. And then eventually I would get this, like I would be doing something different, washing the dishes or helping my children or be, I'd be in the garage and I would get this overwhelming calm, like now's the time. Mm. And I would know. So if I recognize that I'm not in a state of fear about it, then I know that it's the right thing to do and the right thing to share. But it's yeah. scary. That's for yeah. sure. Well, and what's amazing, like even as I'm talking and listening to you, is that it's almost like, you know, I've interviewed so many people mm -hmm. in the spiritual space mm -hmm. and it's like you've developed like a niche yeah. a little bit of a more it's, it's yeah. as, as morbid as this is. It might yes. be like the most morbid part yeah. of this, right? Children it's who true. have been murdered. It's um, true. But what a gift to be able yeah. to bring to people. Yeah, I feel that way. And it is interesting because, you know, I, I can sometimes, sometimes I'll channel someone's grandfather, or, you know, if, if spirit wants to get through, they'll get through uh, as long as I've set up that they, it is for my highest good, because mm -hmm. otherwise I'm inundated constantly. So I had to create all these boundaries, but mainly, you know, it, it's, it is children who have been murdered, children who have been aborted, um, who have mis been miscarried, you know, and understanding the soul path journey and what that is and what that means to the family as well is, has been actually very comforting to me, you know, coming from the viewpoint of not really having a huge, strong, you know, foundation. I wasn't like I was in the church pew every week when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I believed in God. I believed in a higher power, but I didn't have a lot of information on why we're here, mm -hmm. you know, and this thing called earth school and all that jazz. How did you start to uncover your own trauma and abuse through their, through their stories? So I, and again, this wasn't anything that I recognized and I didn't ask for it. Um, I was about the age, I was 39, I was turning 40. And, I, and apparently that's pretty common. And you could probably speak to this in psychology uh, for repressed memories to come out around that time period. I did not know anything about that. Um, I can look Let back me ask now. This, what were the yeah. age of your children? Were they Ooh, the age that you were? They were, huh, that's a good question. They were a little bit older than that, actually. Okay. A little bit older, okay. yeah. But I do. Times yeah. there's that mm -hmm. piece that plays into it where whatever we experience as a child at that mm -hmm. age, when mm -hmm. our children become that age, it can bring up a lot of those old repressed. I've not Makes heard about sense. it being around. I've never actually heard oh, okay. anything about 40 being. Yeah. doesn't mean it's not true. I just had right. heard it. But, right. but I do know that oftentimes that connection between your child being an age that you were right. can right. bring up a lot of unresolved uh, stuff as well. Makes a lot so. of sense. Yeah. And I think I have heard that before. It was, an, it was an interesting time period because I think ultimately I was spending a lot of time alone in the garage building furniture. And um, it was before I ended up with a manufacturer. And so I think I never looked at that time as meditative. 
or even what that meant to channel. But that's how it started, you know, initially. So I was, I had been channeling children for about two and a half years prior to having my own visions of myself. Now oh, that okay. hit me out of the blue. I had no clue. I remember just sitting on the edge of the bed one day and having a flash, you know, of a belt buckle and then seeing my, my face. You know, I'm used to seeing other kids' faces and I'm seeing my face. And I just kind of sat there and thought, why, what is going on? You know, why am I seeing this? And I remember kind of starting to sweat and, you know, it, it was, it was shocking and it was hard and I didn't want to think about it, but progressively the subconscious just kept letting more out and the kids kept saying, this is why, this is why we're coming to you because I endured something similar to them. And so that was the piece that was really um, impactful. And it, it actually made me want to do more, honestly. You know, I felt very, very much like, okay, I'm, I'm in this club with these kids. Um, here we go. What did you do with this information once it was being shown to you? Because I think that, you know, this is, this is a really interesting way of experiencing what you experience, right? And there's a lot right. of, I don't know if you'd call it controversy, but certainly discussion in the field of psychology about repressed memories. Absolutely. And how we, um, as, as therapists, how we approach mm -hmm. that, how we bring them up, you know, mm -hmm. because you don't want to suggest right. that this right. happened to anybody. Yeah. Um, but also you, you, it sounds like you saw it almost mm -hmm. as if you were watching a movie. Yeah. That was your life. So what did you do with that once you saw it? And how would someone know or be able to differentiate? Because I, I would hate for people to oh, I know. suddenly go to this place of, oh, wait, I had this flash of something. And, right. and right. maybe I was abused or, you know, this happened to me. Because I think you have to be careful with it. You do. It's very, very. Absolutely. You have to be very careful with it. And, you know, for me, um, I would say because it happened out of the blue, it wasn't like I was in a therapist's office and there, you know, we weren't saying, okay, let's think back to childhood. Could there be anything, you know, there was no coaxing involved. Um, and, and truth be told, I had enough confidence in myself and in my intuition to know that this was real. Um, I immediately, of course, then, because by this time I did have friends who were mediums uh, that I trusted very much. And I did reach out to them and I said, I'm having these visions. One of the particular mediums actually channeled the room, one of the room where I was raped mm -hmm. uh, down to a T. Now I have trouble with memory, with that type of detail in memory uh, from that time period in my life, but my sister doesn't. So I called her up and I said, Nicole is picked. This is everything that she's seeing. Whose bedroom is this? And my sister said, my, you know, her jaw dropped because she knew exactly whose bedroom that was. Mm -hmm. um, and she remembers that type of detail. So it was really interesting to get that type of evidential stuff. And then I started to look back at my life and I started to go backwards. And when I was 19, I had to have vaginal surgery which I thought was a congenital defect, which actually could have been the hymen uh, and scar tissue 
from when, you know, I was very young. So I couldn't use tampons. You know, I, I was having a lot of issues and it was really, you know, not something I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. at 19, but inevitably I ended up having to have surgery. So I can actually point to now physical effects. I can point to, uh, you know, everything that I endured as a, as a child. Um, I had terrible time potty training, according to my mom. Um, I was very, very shy. Uh, you know, it, it, I was a very happy, smiley kid. Uh, and I was a very open kid. And I'm sure that made me a, a nice target. But I also became very, very, very shy and introverted to the point where I couldn't raise my hand, you know, in class to say, I have to go to the bathroom. It it was that type of thing. So, um, you know, I took a while. I actually didn't even confront him in a letter that I sent to my uncle until three years after I knew what was, what had happened to me. Uh, Because especially by that time, I knew enough. And I could see that you know, I could see that by the Google Analytics, he was looking at my blog because I know where he lives. And I could see all of that, yet um, he didn't respond to my email. So, and into my written letter that I actually mailed. So it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing to kind of come to grips with all of that. I'm not the only one. I know yeah, that. that's what I was going to I know that, ask. yeah. Yeah, there's at least five or six of us and some of what I channeled about that and others have confirmed, you know, it it came from my grandparents who are on the other side and telling me, you know, this is a cycle of abuse, which is why it was so important for me to write this book, because here I am, you know, as sort of considered an expert, right, in channeling and working with cops and, and then I have this discovery about myself. But yet I actually then after that fell right into an abusive relationship. And I had no clue about wounded attachment. I didn't know anything. You know, I, I didn't know how to look at the signs, you know, where that someone could possibly be a predator because I ended up falling for a predator. And that was after you recognized that you had been abused. Yes. So yes. This, is, this was really interesting to me because... You were and still are mm-hmm. in a happy marriage, right? Yes. I mean, you describe mm-hmm. in the book how incredible and supportive and wonderful your husband was. Yes. Is. Yes. And then you discover this abuse. Yes. You stray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think it just speaks to the power of repression. Yeah, right. That when does. when these memories were mm-hmm. repressed and locked up, I'm not I'm not suggesting that they stay there. I'm just right. pointing this out. Right. Um, that when they were repressed, because, again, there is some discussion, particularly around trauma, mm-hmm. whether or not sometimes repressed memories, if they are locked away and the person is functioning, mm-hmm. what the value is in in unlocking them. Right. Um, right. And for you, right. in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, it almost destroyed absolutely your life. So can you speak to that yeah, a little bit? I sure can. So, you know, um, yes, my husband is amazing and wonderful. And we've been back together. We split from 2014 to 2017. We've been back together since. Um, but there were cracks. And you'll, as you go through the book further, you'll see. When I finish it. Yeah. <laughs> you'll see that those types of things 
show themselves, you know, the codependency. We both were codependent and didn't recognize it. Um, Scott will say now that our split and everything that, you know, obviously he didn't want me to go through the depths of abuse that I endured. Uh, and, and we didn't want to put our children through that, but I don't think we would be here today together without it mm -hmm. because, you know, it took me standing up to abuse as an adult that I couldn't stand up to as a child mm -hmm. in order to heal that inner self, you know, inner mm -hmm. child. And then he took a, you know, a big look at his codependent tendencies and his, you know, how, as he says, like, it's a, a gauge where you in a marriage, you know, you sometimes put too much on someone, you know, on your loved one. And so that's what was happening. So by the time it was a perfect storm. And it, by the time I was at that point, the breaking point, I, I wasn't planning on leaving my marriage or I wasn't planning on having an affair. Like none of that was in my view. I just happened to meet someone who pretty much now looking back was exactly the same as my uncle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was interesting because I'm a very much a do do it type person. Like I can take care of it. I'm DIY. I got this. So when I did find out about the abuse and I, I, went to a therapist. I went to a hypnotherapist. I went to a therapist or, you know, talking about it all. Um, I was like, check. All right. I did that. I'm good now. Mm. Not understanding how much the subconscious drives our behavior. Mm -hmm. And now that all of this was coming up, you know, I'm presented with, I've, I've got cracks in my marriage. I had just lost a job. <laughs> um, literally like the weekend that I meet this man, Tony, that you'll read about in the book. It was not something that I planned, but I was also groomed. And so as you read the book, you will see how easily that happens and how mm -hmm. it really anyone can be groomed. But if you have those deep wounds, you know, no matter how tapped into intuition I was, I still went right down that same path. Were there, were you getting intuitive knowings about this is bad for me, but yet you continued down that path? In the beginning, no. In fact, in the beginning, like if spirit walks into the room right now, I will have full chills typically on my left side um, or all the way from my feet all the way to my head. Right. And so that's a pay attention spirits here or this. You have got to pay attention to this. When I met Tony, I had full chills from head to toe. There was a soul knowing about him. I knew it. What he did was very actually very much in line with what an abusive predator would do, like uh, Harvey Weinstein, right? Um, the grooming tactics were very similar. Uh, there was the love bombing, right? You're amazing. I'll do whatever I can do to help you. You know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm in love. I, I really feel like I'm in love with you, but I don't want to ruin our friendship. Um, it was really fascinating to see how fast it happened. And that whole time I'm getting chills and I'm even hearing from other people. Well, it looks like you're supposed to meet them. And I know, you know, I had a lot of friends mm. and family saying, I know things have not been all that great with Scott for a long time. We were waiting to see when this was going to happen, when you were going to, you and Scott were going to split up. So it was, it was obvious for some people in my inner circle, you know, that things were, were breaking down. Um, they did not see that part coming though. They did not see me diving headfirst into a relationship with a man 
you know, while I was still married. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and I didn't see that uh, in myself either. I'm not that person that would typically think, well, this is right. Um, About three months in though, I did start to have intuitive hits. And were the chills that you were getting intuitively really about, whoa, you know? Right. It was, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it's such a hard thing to decipher. Um, but ultimately, like there's two sides of me, right? So I have the psychology side where I'm, I know this is wounded detachment. I know I was groomed. I know all of that stuff. Um, it, you know, was it wrong? Absolutely. Like that's not who I am and never has been who I am. That I would do that. I, I didn't want to hurt my family that way. Mm-hmm. Um, however, spirit of course the kids are coming in and they are telling me towards the end and once I finally got out of the relationship uh they were telling me that this was planned before my birth I couldn't have avoided him Mm. so if you believe in you know Mm. that some things in our life are planned I don't know about everything I and I still again don't know you know I don't know everything I should know about this as if I were studying it for years but I do know that piece uh, for me, I was meant to go through that. I was meant to tell the story and I'm, I'm better for it. Scott's better for it. Our kids saw us fight for each other. You know, um, they saw the fact that, you know, intuition is really what saved me. Mm-hmm. I can see that from a spiritual perspective. And right. also I'm trying to imagine from the psychological perspective, because that's always what I'm trying to piece together here yeah. is, you know, if if you are sitting in my office and right. you're my patient and you're mm-hmm. going down, you're going into this relationship that from my perspective is clearly mm-hmm. toxic and dangerous and, right. you know, what is sort of the role or how do we, can we, were there points from a soul's perspective mm-hmm. where you could have still learned what you needed to learn, but maybe it not been as, um, probably, you know, honestly, I don't yeah. know exactly. Yeah. I do. I do believe, you know, we obviously have free will. Mm-hmm. Could I have limited the time? you know, did I need to spend three years in this? Um, the signs of abuse were showing after four months. As they usually are with an Right, exactly. So that piece, you know, was very in sync with everything we know about narcissistic abuse and about sociopathic predators. Um, but in the beginning, it wasn't like that. And so when I did, I mean, I, I'm very much about pulling in professionals. So I'm, you know, I'm still seeing my therapist during that time period. She's sitting and listening. I'm sure she knew exactly what was going on, but I was not in the headspace to be able to do anything different. You know, I just, there, there was, um, I was just like this blinders on here I go. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to couples counseling, even Scott was like, please, let's go to counseling, please, please, please. So I did. But the whole time, it was almost like I felt like a robot in a way. It was like, nope, nope, I'm done. Right, right. And I'm in love with this man over here. So I think it's it's tough. I I do not envy you, you know, as a mental health professional with somebody who has gone through. And I think there are quite a few of us out there who had, you know, endured childhood abuse that then replicate the similar abuse as adults. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it is. It is extremely common because yes. we try to unconsciously break that cycle. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, but, but we pull in that same relationship, which is, you know, so much of what I do and so much of why I value the work of long-term therapy in terms of trying yes. to get to really what are the unconscious processes that are driving the behavior. Absolutely. Uh, but to just think, I mean, the spiritual and the psychological here really comes together. It does. And it was, so it's hard ways. to, it's hard, hard for me to mesh the two to, you know, they, they seem separate to me in many ways, just in my coping and healing from all of it. In mm-hmm. um, that, and maybe that's a, a product of me feeling like I am kind of split in two a lot of times, you know, I've got the spiritual side that happens. I think one of the reasons I'm a pretty good medium is because of the abuse I suffered as a child, because I can disassociate very quickly. I could, you know, I could be talking to you right now and things are coming in. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a piece of me that has felt that for a very long time, mm-hmm. but it was comforting to know, you know, that yeah. there was a piece of this that I knew I needed to go through. Well, that, that makes sense. And I mean, we know that children who have suffered abuse do disassociate, right? It's a coping right. strategy. It's a, it's a defense right. mechanism. Right. Um, and so it's, it's not surprising to me that you were able to when you disassociated, mm-hmm. connect with something greater, which also begs the question, right. what is mental health and mental illness? Right. And when people are dissociating and are they, you know, dissociating, but are they able to connect in ways with right. other beings that may be helpful to them? Absolutely. And then we pathologize yeah. that. So. Right. I'm not, well, I'm not proposing any right or wrong, any answers here. I'm just putting out some interesting <laughs> questions that this is well, What was interesting too, is that as I started, so those same kids, you know, that I had started channeling and, and some of the children stayed around me for, and they're still around me. They ended up helping me get out of that relationship. So for the first four months, I'm not hearing from them, but then around month six, I'm hearing, this isn't what you think it is. But they couldn't say exactly what that meant, you mm-hmm. know. And I'm still in the la la, woohoo, this is wonderful. Right. I'm feeling all the dopamine and, you know, all of the different endorphins and things running through me. So um, gradually, though, as the abuse got worse and worse and worse, and, you know, a restraining order and all of that stuff, they were coming in and guiding me and saying, you have to go get a restraining order now. Do it now. Do it now. So they literally helped prevent me from being you know, uh, destroyed by a, a predator. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was huge. It was huge. I can't, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know how you begin to think. Well, and I think about what karma were they then working out, right? Like if they weren't able to, in this life, stop themselves from being destroyed from a predator, right? how right. being able to work through that karma from the other side and help you not right. be destroyed from a predator is fascinating. Right. Yeah. One of the particular kids, uh, he was actually a little bit older when he passed. He was in his early 20s. So most of them are either children or they're in their young, young 20s, like, you know, teen, late Emer- teens. Emerging adults. Exactly. Um, they, he was addicted to a lot of different drugs when he died and he died of an overdose. And it was fascinating to hear him come in and say, 
you know, he's your drug. Mm. And so he tried to get me to see that that cycle of abuse that you get stuck in does become a drug. Like I had no idea the biochemical, you know, uh, dependency that mm -hmm. occurs. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful because I don't, I don't know if I would have made it out. A lot of women don't make it out. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't expect to, you know, make it out and, you know, be back with Scott and have everything kind of turn out the way it has. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Kirsten, can we do a speed round? Real quick? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. You probably knew this was coming because you've been listening. <laughs> I do. Spirituality means. See, I knew it was coming, but I didn't prepare for it. <laughs> That's okay. um, I like it unprepared. Uh, spirituality means uh, being human, honestly. Yep. What is something most people don't know about you? Hmm. Gosh, when I was little, I wanted to be an ice skater. I used to skate on our ponds back in Ohio. Um, yeah, that was that was what I hoped to do. I didn't think I was going to be, you know, um, a an intuitive a investigator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is one thing you are really looking forward to right now? I am. I am really looking forward to spending time, more time this summer, you know, with my family. Um, we have a pool now, and we're incredibly happy about that <laughs> so i just i'm so excited just to spend some time i'm trying to make sure that i live in the moment as i get prepared for this book launch to happen in september um, as much as i can mm -hmm. so i would say i'm excited about today and tomorrow honestly what are you deeply grateful for right now ah the love of my family and my friends and uh you know those those little voices and their families you know, they've been incredibly supportive with me throughout everything. And um, I mean, it's just such a gift. What book is on your nightstand? Oh, uh, okay. So I just finished This Is How I Saved My Life by Amy Schur. And I oh, believe she was on your, she was yes. On my show. Did she write a new yes. book? She or is writing a new book. Yeah, okay. she's got actually two new books that she's in the process of writing. Um, but there's a story there too, but I'll have to share that another time. Um, there was a connection there that happened with spirit and it was pretty cool. Oh, so wow. I just finished her book, which was incredible. And, um, she's definitely a lifelong friend now. I love that. Yes. Yeah, she wrote how to heal yourself. I think. Yep. Yeah. She's got the, how to heal your, uh, self from depression and anxiety. Those two okay. different books as well. So, yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice? Oh, wow. I'm not going to say meditation because I'm too ADD for that. So it's not meditation. That's the generic. Answer. No, that's exactly. A lot of answer. I'm not saying it's generic, but it's a yeah. Lot of yeah. Oh man. Um, that's a tough one for me. You know, I'm not. I, I didn't study any of this, so I'm not practiced at it. You know, it just sort furniture of happened. Building. Maybe it's furniture building. There you go. I mean, honestly, maybe I haven't had to do that in a long time, which is good. I still have my fingers, <laughs> so, uh, but you're right. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that. What's the most transformative experience of your life? Mm, gosh, I mean, all of this, honestly, all of this. Um, I am so grateful to be healed. You know, I'm not completely healed. I don't know if I'll ever be completely healed, but I'm healed to this point where I don't have 
the triggers anymore. Um, I was getting buzzing on my right hip every time I was being screamed at and yelled at. And that was little Kirsten. Mm. And as soon as I got out of that relationship, it completely went away. I don't feel mm. that anymore. So, you know, it, it, I'm even feeling things physically like that, which is pretty incredible to see that change. Mm-hmm. And speaks to the physical, the mind-body connection. Absolutely. So people want to buy your book. Is it yes. pre-order? Where can they find you? What if they want to yeah. buy your furniture? We didn't even talk about Shark Tank. <laughs> talk about that in the book, which is I super do. fun. I do. Yeah, I had to use my intuition on Shark Tank. That's for sure. There's a good story there. Uh-huh. Um, so you can find uh, Little Voices. It's on. It's everywhere. It's um, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, KirstenHathcock.com. It's up there for it is, pre-order. But it's not going to look like this. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's manuscript. I'll make sure that you get a copy. Thank oh, you. I would thank love you. that. I would love that. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for your time today. This was really, really interesting. It took us kind of all different directions. So yeah. I love that. It was not, I, I wasn't expecting it necessarily to go that way, but I'm glad that it did. Good. Thank you so much. Thank I you. loved it. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.